The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, Grove Church. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors on staff. The joke is I fell off the stage for service, so they uh, therefore moved my podium. (laughs) So bear with me here. Hey, so happy that you're here today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 12. So there's Bibles in the seat in front of you. Obviously, if you use your smartphone, you can do that as well. We start a brand new series today called Mind Games, when you can't get past go, talking about the importance of renewing our mind. And so we're going to start the series off in um, Romans. Uh, In addition to that, as you're turning there, I think it's so cool just to celebrate um, all that God did this week. This has been an awesome week for the Grove Church. Obviously, we had the carnival, which we had over 3,000 people come. I just want to say, if you were a volunteer, if you dressed up, if you handed out tons of candy and made parents mad, I want to say thank you so much. So can we, th- can we give a huge thanks to those who helped make it happen? It was an awesome event. Um, so much fun and a huge light to our community, seeing so many new people and all their families. It was such a cool thing. We also had an event this week. Uh, we're fighting hunger as a church, helping um, to raise 10,000 pounds of food and $10,000 towards the Marysville Food Bank. We did an event at the best store on the planet, Fred Meyer. And uh, man, this Thursday we rushed Freddy's. I'm telling you, this was such a cool event. We got close to 4,000 pounds of food in three hours. Absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it was awesome. Many people coming out and supporting that. The cool thing was, is I was at the door just interacting with strangers and they were just handing me money. It was awesome. I need to do this every week, okay? So it was, it was incredible. But yeah, handing us money, giving donations, wanting us to go buy more food, and uh, it just continues today. And so just as a reminder, today at the end of service, you have an opportunity to give $10 in this envelope in the program uh, towards the Marysville Food Bank to fight hunger. If you haven't um, gotten food yet or you want to, Obviously, we're here all day, and we're looking to make a huge dent um, in our community with Fight Hunger. And it makes me proud to think about being a part of a church where we're constantly looking at how we can be a light in our community, how we can be a strong witness. And so I wanted to say, again, a huge thank you to all of you who were participated in it in some way, shape, or form. Well, as we look to the mind and talking about the importance of the mind, I want to start here. How many of you, you own a home or a car? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, most of us in here own a car or a home. Um, And about seven years ago, my wife and I decided to take the plunge and buy a home. This was a significant thing for me personally because I grew up renting my entire life, so I never really knew what it meant to own a home or you know, take care of a home. Obviously, my parents did a good job taking care of our home, but we never actually owned a home. And I remember when I went to go buy our house, how overwhelming it was. If you've ever been a part of this experience, you know like it's like a stack of papers like this thick, and you feel like you're signing your life away. Um, in addition to that, I remember my father in law sitting me down after I told Amanda and I were buying a house and he said you know it's so exciting and he obviously you know built a home has has had his home for a long time he said to me I just want you to know that there's a there's a cost to ownership and um, 
I had no idea what he was talking about, okay? Um, and so I'm like, all right, well, thank you, Ken. And so, um, but over the years, I've learned in owning my house, well, you know, the bank owns it and I pay for it, right? Owning my house, that there is a cost to ownership. There's appliances that break or different things that need to be fixed or any type of renovation you take on, it's on you. One of the things I learned early on that I had no idea about was the ever-important filters, Okay, there are there are filters in your home, newsflash, and they need to be changed. Okay, um, and I'll never forget living in my house for um, a couple of years, and the, the furnace guy came over to to service my furnace, and um, big stocky guy, you know, had all this you know big tool belt, and you know he was a man, and I was a boy, and uh, I was like. I was like, yeah, come on in, man. So he's, you know, taking apart the furnace and kind of doing a tune-up on it. And as he goes in the furnace, he's like, you know, what, what kind of filters are you using and, and what size do you have? Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced when someone's talking to you, but you have no idea what they're talking about. It's like math size for me my whole life, okay? Um, so I was just staring at him, and, and the internal me was like, you got this, okay? You, you got this, all right? Just, just fake it. Okay, just, just fake it. Your arms are huge, just fake it. And so I remember me saying something like, you know, there, there's, uh, there's furnaces and, uh, and, there, and there's filters that need to be replaced. And he was like, I just, that's why I'm asking you. And so, so I was like, I don't even know what I said. Like, do you like pizza? I don't know what I said to him. But he gave me a whole lesson uh, in his enjoyment to the, the experience of furnaces and filters and the importance of changing them, not like once every two years, but changing them often. In fact, he was like, you need to be changing these every three or four months because if you don't change these, what happens is it can damage your furnace, it ruins the ventilation in your home and ruins your breathing in your home and all these different things. All of you who have not changed your furnace in forever are like, man, we gotta do that, right? So there's your furnace reminder, okay? But if you've owned a car or a home, you, you know about filters. And in the same way that our house, our physical house or our physical car needs filters and need to be changed and need to be checked on, so should our minds. So should our minds. Our, our minds need filters. How we think determines how we behave. How we think about God, ourselves, our world will in fact set the course for the direction of our lives. And in the world we live in today, it's so important to pay attention to what our mind is dwelling on. Joyce Meyer, very popular author and speaker, um, still doing incredible ministry today, she wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind. And she wrote this, your life will not get straightened out until your mind does. Your life will not get straightened out until your mind does. Now, as we look to the text today, we're looking to a very, very grandiose letter called Romans, okay? This is the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. His desire was to visit as many churches as he possibly could as he was planning churches. He had this radical encounter with Christ in Acts 9, and he, his name gets changed from Saul to Paul, and he begins to spread the gospel of Christ to all these places. Well, his desire was to come to the church at Rome and see them and minister to them, but he was never physically able to visit them. 
But instead, he wrote my favorite book of the Bible. He wrote Romans, the letter to the church at Rome, dealing with a lot of issues and particularly dealing with, and it's important for us to establish this background before we read Romans 12, dealing with the issues of what does it mean now that Gentiles can be a part of the family of God, meaning those who are non-Jewish descent. Now, I'm going to do my best just to kind of give you a little overview of this book, just to make us appreciate Romans 12 a little bit more. But the thesis of this book is in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also now to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So it's more than likely that Paul wrote the letter to address particular issues of concern to the Roman church, matters that included both Gentile and Jewish Christians. So he kind of opens up the first few chapters dealing with, can someone be right with God through obeying the law? He has to deal with the law because then keep in mind before Christ, there was the Jewish law. That's what they used as a guideline for life. And now Paul is trying to make this strong argument that Christ has fulfilled the law, which could be a whole different message for another day about the law and the importance of it. But he's going to deal with Abraham and why Abraham's so important. He's going to deal with how the law plays in reference to sin. If, if you've been a part of church for any length of time, you know like Romans 6 and 7 are like, I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do, I do. It's whole, that whole wrestling battle that Paul deals with in this letter. He's going to deal with Old Testament food laws and do we need to keep eating certain food now that Christ has come? So he's dealing with a lot of issues and a lot of issues specifically with Jewish people welcoming Gentiles, you and I, non-Jewish descent, welcoming them into the family of God. How can they now be included in the family of God? And so in Romans 12, he's going to start off by writing, kind of appealing to them about everything he's already said. So he picks it up here. This is Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, speaking to everything he just said in these past 11 chapters, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is where he gets into the mind here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray for God's word. God, we thank you for this series, Mind Games. God, we know the value, the importance of the mind. God, but maybe for some of us here today, we're going to learn really how important the mind really is, what it means to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, offer our minds as a, a renewed thing to you, God. So help us hear what Paul is saying. Apply it to our lives today, God. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. So I appeal to you, therefore, in light of everything I've written to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is just weird language. To be honest with you, if you're not from church or you don't really know a ton about Scripture, this is just kind of funny, odd language to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The only way you can appreciate this is to remember his audience, which was meant, again, primarily Jewish. 
They understood the sacrificial system. And just for a little history here, prior to Christ, animal sacrifices had to be made for the atonement of sin. So families would present their best offering to deal with their sin, and the priest once a year on the Day of Atonement would offer them to God. The book of Leviticus, which is a tough read, okay, deals with all of the sacrificial systems and offerings. I want to read you just the first uh, chapter, a few verses in chapter 1 of Leviticus, just to get you to kind of appreciate this sacrificial system in relation to animals. He says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So again, families prior to Christ are bringing their best offering to God, kind of the story of Cain and Abel as well, bringing their best offering to God to atone for sin and giving that offering to the priest. What Paul is now saying in this language of living sacrifice, Paul is now saying that Christ, through the work of the cross and the power of his resurrection, Christ is now the ultimate and last sacrifice. Meaning, sin has now been dealt with. Blood has been shed. Christ has atoned for all humankind's sin. And so now, because of what Christ has done, the veil's been torn. You don't need a priest or a pastor or any spiritual leader to have access to God. You have now access to God through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done on the cross and rising again on the third day. And so because of this, in light of what Christ has done, I now want you to offer your bodies, no more animals, okay? All the animal people said amen, okay? No more animals. I now want you to offer your entire body to God as a living sacrifice, meaning dying to yourself. So what does this mean, to offer your body as a living sacrifice? It's not only... You know that my body belongs to God, okay? It's not just physical health. Obviously, physical health is important, and we value that. We should take care of our bodies. It's also not only uh, attending a service on a Sunday or even reading the scriptures and prayer, which are all very important. Health and community and Christian community and Bible reading and prayer are all important. But what is it? What is he saying? Paul is saying in light of all that Christ has done for you on the cross, you are called to give your entire life to God. Both body and soul should result in spiritual worship. It means that every facet of your thoughts, attitudes, and motivations should bring glory to God. It's something to strive for, isn't it? What Paul is saying is Christianity is not compartmentalized. Christianity is not just a Sunday experience. Christianity and belief in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, is meant to penetrate every area of your, of your life. It's meant to consume your thoughts. It's meant to consume your home. It's meant to consume your commute. It's meant to consume your children. It's meant to that every part of your life, your speech, your attitude, how you view the world, how you look at things should bring glory to God. And it's something to strive for, isn't it? 
Because when you hear that, man, my, my entire life, every, every, my, my bank account, yeah. My, my marriage, yeah. My children who are far from God, yeah. My children who are close to God, yeah. Every part of you. And it's a reminder to something to strive for. Because it's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and remember to give everything to God. Sometimes we hold on to things that we want to control. Sometimes we forget and need to be reminded, okay, God, because of what Christ has done, all that I am is yours. Every part of me is yours. My, my Monday afternoon meeting is yours. My conversation at that court hearing is yours. My, my relationship with my boss is yours. Everything is yours, God. And then he deals with this importance of the mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, the world continues to threaten those who belong to Christ. And so we must learn the ability to resist its pressures. Different letter that Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24, speaking of the mind. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There it is again. To be renewed in your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, we either conform to what's around us or we're transformed by what God gives us. We conform to what the world says about us and how we filter things the world pressures us to do or we become transformed by what God gives us each day. Now, practically speaking, if we're dealing with this issue of being renewed in the mind and the importance of the mind, that you should renew your mind, and Paul's saying, I want you to daily renew your mind. What does that actually practically look like? Again, I'm gonna go back to this filter conversation for a few minutes. To renew your mind practically, because it seems kind of broad to talk about that. To renew your mind practically means to set up spiritual filters for your mind. You begin to set filters for your mind and how you think about things. You begin to establish certain boundaries and guardrails in your mind that make you think spiritually about who God is, that makes you think in a specific way about the nature and the character of God. Now, here's the thing. If you're new to Christ, you maybe had a background where you were far from God or no religion at all, and you've recently given your life to Christ, I'm here to tell you this is going to be an adventure for you and an experience for you to learn how to give over your mind. Learn how to change your thought life. Learn over time what it means to think of things of God versus things of the world. Today, I'm only going to give you two. My hope is maybe throughout the series, we'll give you a few more, but I'm just going to give you two filters. Two filters that I'm striving personally to view my life through. Two filters that I'm trying to remind myself daily to check, to check them often, to make sure that this is a clean pattern in my life. So the first one is this. This is just practically speaking, because we need to be transformed by what God gives us. A gratitude filter. 
I am doing my very best in weakness to be reminded that I have an incredible life and to be thankful for it. Not just in the month of Thanksgiving, right? November. But there's not a day that goes by where I don't thank God and appreciate the life that I get to live. Honestly, I have a beautiful family. I have a wife who takes incredibly good care of me. I have a two and a half year old daughter. When I drive by the Grove Church, she says, Daddy, I want to go worship. I mean, I mean, life is incredible for me. I have an exceptional job. I work with incredible people. And what I get to do, what I get to do is honestly a gift. <laughs> but it's a gratitude filter. I try to wake up every day with the mindset of what can I do for others? I try to wake up not to take, but to give. And that is a mindset, folks. Because if you wake up trying to take and get yours, I'm telling you, your mind will get corrupted. But I do my very best to thank God for the things I have, for my health, for my family, for the things around me, for the Christian community, for the church I'm a part of, for the community that I live in, for the best state in the nation. I try to thank God for where I live. And I try to remind myself that it's not better on the other side. It's not greener on the other side. My life is blessed. And it's a filter that I look at things from. You know what it does? You know what a gratitude filter does for me? It just kicks that complaining spirit out the door. It's like, what do I have to complain about? What, what, what is there to complain about? What has God not done for me that I don't have something to be thankful for? But see, a gratitude spirit takes that spirit of, of you know, being negative away. That spirit of, man, if only I had. That spirit of, if I lived in that neighborhood. If I had a boat, if I had this, if I did that, if people knew me, if I had more followers, if I had more likes, whatever it may be, it kicks that stuff to the curb. I'm blessed, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. And when I view my life through a filter of gratitude, it makes me appreciate things that I would normally take advantage of. It does. It makes me value the things that normal day people would take advantage of. The second one is much more of a challenge for me right now, but I'm really focusing on this. I'm just gonna call it, um, that's not what they meant filter, okay? That's not what they meant filter. We'll just leave it at that. We tend to think that people are, are bad and that they're out to get us, worrying about what people think of us or how we should get revenge or get back at them. And my mindset, I read this book by Judah Smith, pastor in Kirkland, called How's Your Soul? And he talks about this idea of taking on this for your soul. That that's not what they meant. I want to read to you what he wrote in his book about this idea. It says, he writes, Some of us are the self-appointed guardians of our rights, privileges, dignity, and pride. We think that if we get walked all over, if we get taken advantage of, if we somehow lose something. But in reality, it's the people who live their lives defending themselves and lashing out at perceived attackers who lose the most. Think about it. 
Who is primarily affected if you spend your days assuming the worst? Yeah, that coworker meant to hurt me with that comment. My wife is so manipulative. That neighbor is always mean and underhanded. Guess what? These people aren't going to be bothered by your bitterness, but you are. You will spend your life in a holding pattern, looking back at the situation from every angle, trying to figure out how to get the advantage. How to get your pride back. How to prove your point. And ironically, the situations you're obsessing over are long gone. You will never get ahead by flying in circles. You will never get over something until you let it go. The best way to let something go is to immediately and from your heart decide not to pick up the offense in the first place. He didn't mean it. And you move on with your life. You give people the benefit of the doubt even when there is very little doubt. You know they meant it, but you are choosing to believe the best, to believe they regret it now, to believe that's not what they wanted for their lives, to believe that they did it in ignorance or haste or pain, but they are really not that kind of people. And if you do this, your soul will be so free. Your ice cream will taste better. Your kale will have some flavor. You will have a skip in your step and a sparkle in your eye because you are not controlled by the offenses of others. Can you imagine what our families and marriages would look like if we included this phrase in our daily vernacular? What the church would look like? What nations and politics and media and neighborhood associations would look like? It's not what they meant. I'm not going to take it personal. I'm going to offer the benefit of the doubt when there's very little doubt. But you know what that does to your mind? It gives your mind freedom to not be ruminating about all the different things you're going to do to someone because of what they did. It gives your mind the freedom and the filter to go, man, they're hurting. They're in pain. Man, God, I pray for that person. Lord, do something in that situation because, wow, for them to act that way is harsh. But God, you know that situation. Help them. See, what it does is it allows your mind to be renewed. Because if we don't put up filters, if we don't get transformed by what God gives us, inevitably what's going to happen is our mind is going to wander and think whatever the world wants us to think. Your mind is going to think about things. You are going to process things. And I'm just encouraging you today in this opener to begin to set up these filters that will help shape how you think. Here's some questions for you to consider some great ones for life groups as well, but just some ones practically for you today. Do you find yourself being more conformed by what the world says about you or what God says about you? We even sang it today, didn't we? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Do you find yourself being more conformed by what the world says about you? or what God says about you. Here's one practically speaking here. What kind of filters do you have set up for your mind to stay renewed? What kind of filters do you have set up for your mind to stay renewed? Taking even deeper, if you have children or you're married, what kind of filters do you have for your children set up for their mind to think about God and his great work? For your marriage, if, if you're not married, and you're single, wanting to be married, what kind of mind filters do you have set up in preparation for someone that you'll meet to where you're thinking clean thoughts 
and your thoughts are on what Christ says about you. What are you focusing on? What I want to do today, I want you to grab that communication card. It's in the program there in the seat in front of you. Either one, I want you to grab that card for me. I want everyone in the room to grab that card. really want to end this message very, very practically. If you have it, just go ahead and just wave it at me if you have it. really want everybody to possibly get that card out. This is an important thing. Good. It says on the back of that card, I choose to set up intentional filters that will help shape my daily thoughts and actions. I can't tell you what filters you need to place on your mind. I don't know what you're watching or what things you're consuming, but it's a decision. I choose to set up intentional filters that will shape my daily thoughts and actions. If you're new to faith in Christ, this is a journey for you. If you've been a Christ follower for a long time, maybe it's time to change that filter. Maybe it's trying to figure out how that's going, specifically in the area of your thoughts. Craig Rochelle says it best. He says, most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Let me pray for you today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God, for this reminder. God, personally, I know for me, this gratitude filter, that's not what they meant filter, is areas that I'm working on, God. And maybe for some, they need that today too. But more than anything, God, I pray, God, that we would begin to renew our mind daily, God. Lord, help us to think clearly. Help us to ask ourselves, where are my thoughts? What am, what am I looking at? What am I thinking about? How do I view others? How do I view you, God? But we thank you, God, today that you're giving us the help with your Holy Spirit to take every thought captive to take that old life and lay it down and take up our new life in Christ. And it does start, God, with the mind, thinking thoughts of you. So Lord, today, help us to transform our mind in your good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.